0: Hello and welcome to Table Topics, the general advice and discussion podcast from the RPG Academy. I am Michael and this is Table Topics episode number 47, Villainous Cutscenes. In this episode, Caleb and I talk about two different questions that came in through our website, email podcast at the rpgacademy.com. One deals with having the PC's meet the main bad guy or the main villain of a story well before they're ready to fight them? And how do you do that without kind of nerfing the encounter to make it not fun or taking the player's agency and use it as a cool way to build some tension later in the game? Our second question comes also through the podcast email, and this is about DMs having a PC in the game. So not an NPC necessarily, but an actual party member that is DM-controlled. And some of the good some of the bad that can come along with that so uh, before we get to the show we do have a couple announcements I want to go through quickly the first one is we are winding down our Teespring t-shirt campaign the if you can read this I failed my stealth check t-shirt only by the time this comes out should only have like maybe a day or two left before it's over as as of right now we have eight pre-orders we have to have ten before we can guarantee that the shirts will print so if you are considering getting one then then just do it. And if you are not considering getting one, maybe you know someone that might be interested in it, Uh, this do come with a satisfaction guarantee in that if you wear that shirt to Gen Con, and I see you at Gen Con wearing it, you get a free high five. That's right. Free. High. Five. Uh, We also have just recently launched our Patreon page, and we're going to try not to beat this horse to death. But if you are interested in supporting the show financially, we now have a way for you to do that uh, by going to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash the RPG Academy. And for as little as a dollar a month, you can pledge to our show. And we have a bunch of different reward levels and and milestones that we hope to achieve uh, with any money that we get from that. The other exciting news is that we have some reviews. So now when we decided to change our name from D&D Academy to the RPG Academy, One of the things that we looked into was whether or not we would have to start over with subscribers and would we lose all of our reviews. We thought that the answer to that is that no, we would not lose our subscribers and that yes, we would get to keep our reviews. At least half of that was wrong. So unfortunately, we kind of had to start over on the iTunes reviews. Um, I did throw out in the last podcast that was on dndacademy.com that uh, maybe if you've already written us a review before, you would... Be so kind as to come back and rewrite the same review, uh, unless your opinion has changed uh, for the new show. And um, LK Magnifico has done that for us. It's a little different than his original one, but it's very very similar, and I do appreciate them taking the time. So the first review we have is called uh, Attack of the Awesome, and is by LK Magnifico, and he writes: So you're a new DM and don't know what to do in your games. Dungeon talk, now table topics. Got you covered with advice and discussions from a variety of viewpoints. And the Synergy segment is one of the most original ideas I've seen on a podcast. They use a Magic the Gathering booster to formulate a game concept using the cards provided in the pack. Need ideas for characters, a game, or just looking for some fun entertainment. Michael's in a game in the campaigns. Quality keeps getting better as the game gets the hang of production and acquires better equipment. Lots of fun and great advice for new players and experienced vets of gaming. Keep up the good work, gents. Nine aspiring writers out of ten. So thank you again, LK Magnifico, for your review. We got another five-star review. This is from Banzal Lopper. I'm probably not pronouncing that right. Also known as John. And it is titled, Can't Stop Listening? And John goes on to write, This podcast has had the largest effect on me as a new DM. I'm getting answers to questions that I didn't know I had yet. The discussions are smooth, easy to follow, and very helpful. Even with Michael's power of editing, the actual plays have provided me a goal to try and emulate in my own sessions. My only problem is that I've caught up with real time and have to wait for the next episode. Keep up the great work, guys. So thank you so much, John, for taking that time to write a review. And now our final five-star review on the new site is by Cincy Dubbin. I'm assuming that means they're from Cincinnati, which is where I'm from. And it is titled Fantastical Gaming Podcast." Cincy Dubbin goes on to write, I listen to a lot of gaming podcasts, and this is easily one of the best. A great mix of topics and playthroughs. Love the reviews and guest segments. These guys are creative and intelligent gamers. The synergy idea is awesome. I love the concept. I just started listening to the podcast recently, and I have went back and listened to all and uploaded content. Highly recommended. Keep up the great work, fellas. So thank you again to LK Magnifico, Bon Zalopper, also known as John and Cincy Dubbin for writing us a review on iTunes. We have a total of six ratings, all so far five star but only three actual reviews, so if you would like to agree or disagree with any of the three that you've just heard or add your voice to our ratings, please go to iTunes and give us a review. If you listen to us on Stitcher Radio, you can do the same thing there by clicking the plus button, adding us to your playlist and you can also write reviews on Stitcher as well. So anyway, enough of all that silly business, on to the actual show. Here is Table Topics, episode number 47, Villainous Cutscenes. (laughs) All right, Caleb, how are you, sir? I am doing well, Michael, how are you? I'm doing well as well. Gen Con season is fast approaching, for some of us at least, sorry. I, uh, they're actually, uh, I'm half tempted and I probably will do it, but I have already created a Teespring campaign for a t-shirt that is a logo of our our our, uh, Fire Breathing Crest logo on the front and on the back it says, I helped get Caleb to Gen Con 2014. <laughs> so I figured out if we sell the shirts for $15 and we can sell a hundred of them, then, then I will have enough profit that I can get you to Gen Con for 2014. So we, we have seven pre-orders for our current one. So that's only 93 more shirts that we would have to sell at a higher price to get you to Gen Con. But... I probably will try it, because what the hell, right?
1: That's such an easy goal to attain. Let's just I know. knock
0: it out. I know. I mean, we have easily 17 fans that will buy 10 shirts each, so we'll probably make... I mean, we'll actually make some extra money off of this, I'm sure. Cool. Anyway, so Gen Con is faster approaching. My schedule is out. I am so excited about Gen Con again. Uh, we have the Primeval Thule hosted game. I'm going to be on Thursday. Just a reminder that we are still taking applications or entries for a chance to win a seat at that game. I don't have that many entries. Honestly, I'm a little little sad that we haven't had more, but that just means there's more opportunity for those of you who have submitted. Your chances of winning have gone up or or, or will continue to be high. Uh, But just a quick recap, we're going to be playing 13th Age. We're going to be playing in the new Primeval Fool setting, which we've talked about on here several times. Uh, and it will be ran, originally I thought it was by Rich Baker. Apparently it's not 100% set who's going to run, but it will be one of the Sasquatch Game Studio guys. So it's either going to be David Noonan, Stephen Sherbert, or Richard Baker. It will be three, one of the three of them, and I'm sure any of the three will be running an amazing game. It's going to be a private game, so we're going to have our own room. That way we can record it for the podcast and not have to deal with... 13 games going on around us, and I am looking forward to that so much I can't even stand it. A little disappointed, though, I wasn't able to get into a Numenera game. That I had a few sort of goals for this Gen Con as meeting, play new games. I wanted to play Dungeon World. I wanted to play Numenera, and I wanted to play um, like RuneQuest, which I got into a RuneQuest game, and I wanted to do True Dungeon. So the only thing that I really didn't get was Numenera but I'm hoping that maybe I might be able to get into a pickup game of that somewhere online. lines. So hopefully we'll be able to sell a hundred shirts and Caleb can go to Gen Con and go to this primeval full game with me. But if not, we are also going to go to origins this year, which is uh, even closer. It's only uh, three weeks away now at this point, something like that.
1: Uh, it's the second week of June. So yeah, I think it's like
0: three to four weeks at most. And, um, we are both going to get a chance to go to that we don't have anything officially set up we're not hosting anything but we are going to try to do some impromptu podcasting while we're there maybe uh, do some quick reviews uh, talk about the origin awards awards maybe a little bit of press work uh, about some stuff that's coming out uh, and maybe use this as a trial run for some potential future convention stuff that we're going to do so lots of exciting things going on
1: origin will also be monumental because this is the first time we would have ever actually met in person.
0: I know, and we're probably going to like hate each other, and we're going to fight, and we're just going to beat the shit out of each other and be like, um, fuck this, I'm out.
1: Yep. We're going to re- heads up, everyone, the show will end after Origins. We're on our <laughs> final countdown.
0: Wouldn't that be, I don't know if ironic the right word, but the, 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 we would end at Origins, which is sort of like
1: <laughs> counterintuitive?
0: They'll have to rename that whole game fair after us. Yeah. Uh, okay, that was a little bit, little bit further than I expected that to go But, we just, uh, we just finished up an awesome interview with Nolan from Roll20 That podcast actually will come out before this one, so that's old news to you But we're doing kind of a, a lengthy podcast session today Because unfortunately, today, uh, which is May 22nd Is the first time in a very long time that we have not had a new Dungeon Talk Or as they're now going to be called, Table Topic Podcast out And unfortunately, our schedules just did not mesh up and we weren't able to get any. So the plan today is to record a couple and have them ready in case we need them. We have two different, we actually have quite a few questions that have come in. I'm very excited about that. We've been getting a lot of questions through the podcast email asking for some advice or just our thoughts on some topics. And we have have a bunch, some of which we've already emailed back and gave some responses and some others that we're working on. But we're going to talk through a couple of them today. And uh, hopefully you guys might have had some of the same issues or some same thoughts. We might be giving you some something to think about. And as always, we're open to feedback uh, and your questions and comments as well. So the first thing we're going to talk about is a question that came to us through the email. Again, that is now podcast at the rpgacademy.com. And this is from Jerry. And Jerry had a couple different questions he wanted to talk about as far as Uh, what we think about or any advice we would give on having the PCs meet a monster that's basically way above their level. So to put this in D&D terms, he wants a low-level party to come face-to-face to to a high-level monster that is sort of the main villain that will uh, be kind of a through line throughout his campaign that will ultimately end up fighting, but not have it in a way that... That NPC monster just kills them instantly because the PCs are going to try to shoot it in the face because as we've mentioned before, that's what PCs do. And how to keep it interesting without necessarily nerfing the monster in a point that it it loses the factor of holy shit, I just saw a beholder, but it was a beholder that nine of its eye stalks were had cataracts and it had Mr. Magoo glasses on the other one, because that's no longer a cool encounter with a beholder. That's a sad encounter with an old old beholder. So, Caleb, I know you were actually the first to respond to Jerry. I, I followed up with my, my, my comments. So what sort of advice would you give to Jerry or anyone else who wants to use a cool monster maybe before they should?
1: Well, first off, it's a great idea to do this. I think including a high-level creature, whether it's simply a monster out of the book, whether it's a high-level NPC that you intend to be a recurring villain for your story arc. I think it's a great story element to introduce that person, that character, early on in the game. I think it helps create the mood to the game. It gives your players something to aim for and shoot for. I mean, if they know right off the bat that their biggest opposition is, you know, a red dragon that walks around polymorphed as a little old man you know they know what they're fighting for they know what they're leveling up for so it gives a good direction and a good um a good point to some of the games when it comes to introducing that high level thing early on in my mind there's nothing wrong with simply introducing this element but stopping any sort of offensive or potentially Damaging situations, and I'm pretty sure that a lot of people will disagree with me. But I think in the right context, there's nothing wrong with the, uh, you know, video game FMV moment. You know, you can introduce the villain and simply say when their players, oh, I run up and attack him, or I want to cast this spell. There's nothing wrong with saying that fails. You can't hit him. It misses. He's sitting here talking to you because of X, Y, Z. That's how I do it in some situations. In other situations, you have to expect that the players are going to attempt to interact, potentially violently, and you have to be able to deal with those situations. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule here. I, I think this is one of those moments where you really have to be prepared to improv at the table. If you have uh, a red dragon or a beholder or a mind flayer and you don't want to completely nerf him and take away all his cool spells and abilities, you have to deal with the fact that he is a very high-level being. And if the fighter runs up and takes a swing at him, you know the fighter's going to miss, so what's the bad guy going to do? I think a lot of... Uh, The answer to that question depends on what you want this bad guy to be. Is he supposed to be an absolutely brutal creature? Then you might have to have him kill that fighter and deal with it. If he is more the subtle, charismatic vizier that is running his machinations behind the screen, maybe he shrugs it off and says something smarmy and walks away. Maybe he casts some kind of force wall or illusionary device and the fighter just misses because he thinks he's somewhere else. Maybe you have to break out uh, some cool curse. Like, oh, well, the attack misses and the fighter gets cursed with a shriveled arm and, you know, deal with consequences, things like that. There's lots of different ways around it, but you just have to have a, a good mindset of what you are doing with this character.
0: So, for me, and, and I agree with you, uh, but I think there are, there's a, in my mind, there's a, two different sort of avenues that it depends on what you as the deem are trying to accomplish, and uh, Jerry sent a couple emails back and forth after we had responded and, and clarified a little bit, and so the two avenues I'll talk about, one is where it's the main bad guy of the campaign, like the king's vizier that's secretly behind everything, or it's the polymorph red dragon, You reveal early on to your characters that that's the main bad guy, you have to be prepared to deal with their actions because, unfortunately, our players often don't act the way we want them to from our movie or book experiences. And I mean, and there are numerous examples of a situation where the characters early on realize who the main bad guy is, but they are unable to do anything about it at the time, A, because of the political reasons, they, they don't have enough clout. Or, you know, if the person really has snuck in and they've taken over the body of the king's vizier, they're an accomplished person or thing. They're not going to fall for the first dim-witted, first-level fighter who swings a sword. They, they've already accounted for that opportunity, and they have countermeasures in place, whether they just be arrested for trying to kill kill the king's vizier. And, you know, they have a situation where, no, he's actually a red dragon, Clearly I'm not. I mean, I'm a person and now they've discredited the PCs and made their job harder. So you want the characters to kind of play along and go, okay, well, we can't reveal this yet, but we need to get the heartstone that is buried in beneath the castle because that will reveal his true nature and everyone will believe us. But what's going to happen is your PCs are going to try to shoot him in the face. So you have to be prepared to do that. And I think that's what you're talking about, where you just narrate if they try to do that and say, all your attacks fail, they hit an invisible force field, or he's actually, it's like a, um, an illusionary version of himself and he's actually somewhere else. But I think we want our players to realize we're trying to set up drama and go with it, but most of the time they're not. I think what Jerry specifically wants to do, which I do find is interesting, is he wants to set up a a race of bad guys. And in this particular case, well, I don't give it away in case any of his listeners are listening. There's a particular race of bad guy beings in, in a typical D and D setting that if they, uh, that they are, you know, higher level creatures, but he wants the PCs to meet one early on to sort of foreshadow that maybe this is the first of like a Vanguard. This is the first of many that are coming. It's a looming threat, but he doesn't want all the PCs to die. And that's where we talk about, do you nerf the encounter so that they can win, so they can have that battle that, oh my god, we're fighting the fill in the blank, we should die but we don't, or do you find some way in game to make it work? And and so for my example, what I, I did this once with an Etten, it was a first level party, three characters, and they were going to fight an Etten, and this was in 3.5 rules, and by the math, the Etten would have killed at least one of the characters, pretty much If it hit any one of them, it would have done enough damage to probably kill them. So the way that I did that to make it interesting is I had that Etten was trapped in a cave-in. So the the PCs were running away. They'd found a secret passage. They were running away from something. And along the passage, it was partially collapsed. As they're digging their way out, lo and behold, they uncover a half-buried Etten who had been there for several days. So one of his arms didn't work. One of his heads was already crushed in. He only had a quarter of the normal hit points because he was emaciated and, and crushed, but he still put up a little bit of a fight. So it gave them the ability to, to discover this cool thing. It shows that the world exists without their input. Like this cave-in had nothing to do with them. allowed them to fight a cool monster, but it also didn't kill them. And then the story reason is that they, they then then became known as the Eton Killers, the Giant Killers, and they gained a reputation they had no right to which set them up later for times when people would ask them, well, you're the guys who kill giants, right? Can you help us with this? And they now were like second level and had no business going to fight the storm giants. But all these commoners thought they were these you know great heroes of legend now. So I did it for a story reason, which allowed me to play around with those expectations. Uh, and I thought it was an actually good encounter. I thought it was a good start to a game. So what do you think about that second avenue, Caleb, where you want to foreshadow the looming threat rather than saying, here's the main bad guy, just don't kill him yet?
1: I think the idea of the looming threat is great. It's good for a story, um, and it's, it's very entertaining to your players, especially if you throw in this early encounter with an Etten or an XYZ monster, and then completely ignore it for a couple sessions. You drop that as the you know the first big battle or the battle right before you go up a level, and then completely ignore it for a while so they kind of forget about it, and then start to bring it back in. Great for foreshadowing. Great for building that sense of continuity from one session to the other. Uh, I li- I like your idea of introducing a a damaged or a hurt monster or version of whatever monster you're talking about. Um, another way you could do that would also be uh, simply taking away maybe his magic items or magic armor. Maybe in your story, the characters encounter this creature in a cave that stops magic from working. So you, you've you taken away uh, the creature's spellcasting ability or something like that. I think you can't rely... On that as a crutch, too often though. Uh, and you can't do that with any of these big ideas we've talked about. You can't always do the same thing every time. It's predictable, it's not fun. But especially in this case, uh, if you have a damaged giant or a dragon who got his wings ripped off, or you are always relying on that too high level of monster, but he's damaged or hurt in some way, so you can actually kill him kind of trope, it's really predictable. And your players are going to say, hey, look, there's a dragon to fight. And you describe him as, well, he seems to be limping a little bit, and his tail looks like it's been damaged. Your players are instantly going to say, oh, I bet we're going to fight more dragons later, because here's the first one. So, uh, you don't want to rely on that too often. Another method you could do is throw him against a full-strength creature, and then... Save their asses with a high-level NPC, or the avatar of a deity, or introduce another story element that saves them that you can work in later. Maybe they're fighting a dragon, and they're definitely going to die, and then suddenly a portal opens, and the dragon disappears. No explanation. No NPC walks in. What the hell happened? They survive the fight, maybe you give them slightly less XP or whatever, and then two sessions later, a wizard introduces himself, and he drops all these hints about teleporting and dragons, and then he leaves. Hey, I wonder if that was the guy that saved us, and they can trot off to catch him. So you can work it in in some interesting ways, you just have to be pretty creative with it.
0: Yeah, I would be cautious about having the NPC come to the rescue. As you said before, any of these techniques you want to be cautious of. You can't overuse any of them. But as a player, I often feel somewhat cheated if, you know, if I make a choice to go fight a dragon knowing full well I'm probably going to die. I don't really want a cavalry to ride in and save me from my own stupidity necessarily because I kind of feel like... I don't even know it. almost. I feel like the, the DM's just ha- taking pity on me. Like, I know I'm going to die when I'm first level and I go fight the red dragon. I'm, I'm only going to do that for a story reason, like I'm trying to be the hero and I'm trying to save my friends, because we know that we can't actually beat that creature. And then for, so that you know, the, the good-hearted knight or the, the angelic deity to show up and, and save me feels somewhat like a cheat, a, a deus ex machina, other than unless there's a there's a story reason to it and that's like the call to adventure and it happens pretty quick, you know, where two rounds into the battle, that's when it shows up and it turns out that I've been chosen and it, it sort of minimizes that battle. So again, it's just, it really depends on how you use it in your players. Some players would love that and other players are going to be like, no, by God, I'm rolling this D20 until that dragon's dead or I am. And so you kind of got to know what your players want from those types of things. Cause Again, we're we're talking about all role-playing games, but this question is sort of specific to Dungeons & Dragons. Dragons is in the title. Anytime we play, at some point, we want there to be a dragon in there. When we finally get to one, we don't want that battle to be taken from us. At least I don't feel like I do. So I would just be cautious about the NPC to the rescue. It's okay once. I just would not overuse it because I feel like player agency, I feel like you're stripping that away if every time i do something stupid you find a way for some npc to save me cuz i think we've mentioned this before i'm going to start doing increasingly stupid things to see how far i can push this
1: yeah I, I i wouldn't i wouldn't expect to save the characters if they were doing something completely ridiculous and moronic because there has to be consequences in the game and we, we brought this up back on the show about death and dying, You know, there has to be a consequence. There has to be a point to your actions. If, you, if it's impossible for you to die, if an NPC is always going to save you, you're either going to not have any fun or you're just going to get into crazy, stupid situations and let the, the GM write you out of them. But I also think that as long as the story supports it, having that happen as a climactic movie scene element is pretty cool. You know, having the shining paladin ride forth on his charger and just kill everything and that paladin is then drafting you into his army or delivering a message from your deity that generates the next quest or the next part of your campaign Again, as long as your players are on board with it and they're the type of players that are okay with that happening, there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah, I think what I would say there is, again, I, I do think that technique works better for a call to adventure when it's early on. But if it was my mind, I don't know that I would really roll any dice because I think at the moment you, you put it into a combat, I think that's where you start to feel somewhat cheated. I think that works better as a truly narrative situation. Now, mm-hmm. for effect at the table, what I might do is you know your pcs you're 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 running away from X, y, or Z, or you're going here, and then out of the blue, you get buffeted by this powerful wind and this just giant beast dragon or whatever lands in front of you. it snarls roll initiative, and that whole like what what we we can't fight a red dragon, you know that the, give them that moment, have them go through the initiative order. And then narrate the next thing I think could be a fun way to give them the dread of, oh, my God, we're about to fight a red dragon without letting them roll a couple things and, and start to figure it out. Go, OK, well, let's flank it. and Let's do this. And, and then if you strip away that player agency, I think it would be a, a worse, a worse to do it then than to do it early. But again, I think a lot of it comes down to execution, how well you handle it, and then what your players expect. One other thing, that I, I've tried to do this, and I think I've mentioned this a couple of times. We've, we've done a bunch of these episodes now, so I know we're going to repeat ourselves a little bit. But, but it has always been my dream to have a Godzilla-type movie adventure that ends with the players having to wake up a Tarrasque to fight something else that is so bad that only a Tarrasque can beat it. And since I just watched Godzilla recently, it, it actually uh, wor- the new one actually works out pretty well. So I've had two or three different campaigns that I have started where the PCs find the sleeping Tarrasque early on, first, second, third level. They they find a chamber, and there it is. It's the Tarrasque, the, the, the worst thing on the planet, and it's asleep. So of course they don't mess with it. They leave. But they now have this knowledge of where this thing is. The idea being 20 levels later, when they're now up getting towards Epic Tier, there will be something comes to this world that is so bad that it's going to destroy everything. So their only thought is, well, what if we wake up the Tarrasque? Maybe the Tarrasque will take care of this problem for us. It's never worked, but I think that's kind of what Jerry's also talking about here is that you give them really early on information or knowledge that is well above their station, and then you just hold on to it for the right moment.
1: Yes. Uh, that, again, requires the right type of player to act on that knowledge appropriately. And that will also require the flashback reminder that we've talked about before and how sometimes you have to just flat out say, hey, remember ten games ago when this happened? You should remember that. It's it's the intro to the Supernatural episode where you'll see a flash of an episode from six seasons ago just to remind you who a character is. And that works better in a visual medium than in a narrative medium, but sometimes you have to do that. And if your point is to drop that knowledge on a player or introduce a a race that is going to come up later down the road, sometimes you just have to give them that reminder. Now, I'm thinking here, brainstorming, what if What if you did that kind of the opposite way? What if the players or the characters were in a a deadly situation and the big bad guy is introduced early because he actually kills whatever they're fighting and drops that whole, oh, you can't be fighting them right now because I have these plans and then leaves kind of moments. Yeah, it's the supervillain monologuing kind of scenario, but it's just another way to approach this. You know, it's to go back to the very original thing I said, introducing the big bad or the supervillain early on. You know, you could just have him flat out walk into the room and drop the hint, I have plans for these guys and you can't kill them yet, shoo, and he he shoves the, the beholders out of the room or just flat out kills them, and then he walks off you would have to flesh it out. You'd have to play it properly, of course, and it'd have to be in the right context, but it's just something to think about given this topic that we're discussing.
0: Again, it's another avenue to do the same thing. And and along those same lines, there's a topic that we had talked about for a future episode that I think just dovetails so nicely with this. I'm going to go ahead and throw it in here. And what I wanted to talk about was um, adding in cutscenes from another point of view. So for example, let's say that you, you know, uh, you're walking the streets and you see there's like an assassination that's about to happen. As far as you know, it has nothing to do with your characters. So you stop the assassination, you kill the assassin, you find out that the the, the intended target was a wealthy merchant. You know, it, it seems like a total side quest. But then the DM does a quick cut scene where you just basically as a DM narrate, what the the guy who hired that assassin says and does after he finds out that the assassination failed and goes, so those meddling adventures got my way, huh? Well, I'll show them. And you basically, just like in a TV show, you see what the villain is doing, even though your characters have never had any interaction. You could very easily do that same sort of thing here where you just do a cut scene with the king's vizier polymorphing into a red dragon eating a, you know, a stable full of horses or something and then turning back into a human and then going off and having a meeting with the king. Your players don't, you know, your characters don't actually have that knowledge, but your players do. And then you have that tension when the next day they show up to meet the king because they have to petition whatever and the vizier is standing there and they're like, oh shit, that's the guy who's actually a red dragon who's actually evil, but their characters don't have that information And if you hold them to not using out-of-game knowledge, you could have some very interesting tension there without having to deal with the whole let's shoot him in the face thing.
1: Very true. I hadn't considered that. Um, Hmm. I like that. No, that's a really good idea. It's definitely pulling more from kind of TV, movie, video game media into the role-playing game at the table. I think that's the kind of thing that will really engage your players. Because a lot of times, you know, you roll up a character, you invest in them, you're seeing things from their point of view. An element like this would make you the person interested in the story. Because when you're playing a game like this, you have to see... You have to be in the moment. You can't look at the bigger picture because your character doesn't know what the bigger picture is. You know as a player... <clears throat> okay, something's going to happen and lead to something else, and there's a quest and an X, Y, Z to follow. So having that little taste of that is, is very interesting. But you have to very strictly enforce the no metagaming and no above-the-table knowledge and make sure that doesn't really impact what's happening, which can be tricky with the, the right people at the table.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, it has a potential to be very rewarding, but it also has the potential just to cause conflicts at the table. Because even if there's just one person who's like, well, I know he's evil. I'm going to shoot him in the face. And all the other characters and players are like you, you wouldn't do that because you don't know that. Now you've got conflict at your table that which you don't really want. So I think, you know, I think it all comes down to execution and then the, the people at your table. The other thing that I actually just thought of as well, there's a... Um, there's a new game and a buddy of mine is helping out with it. And I apologize. The name is escaping me. I think it's like it came from outer space or something like that. And it's a throwback to the, uh, you know, the B science fiction movies from the fifties where, and a lot of times the way those movies start, you'll have a scene where like a guy and a girl are driving from the sock hop and they go up to, to lover's lane and then the, the asteroid hits and the meteor and the blob comes out and it eats the, the, the guy and the girl. And that's like the introduction to the movie. And then you cut over and you deal with your main characters. And then there might even be like a throwaway line like, oh, did you hear Bobby and Susie? Uh, you know, they, they got killed last night at Makeout Point. So you could do the same thing in a D&D game where you say, okay, we're going to start off tonight. You're Bob the Farmer. You're Sally the Farmer's wife. And you're Kenny the Kid. You're in your farmstead. It's late at night. You hear the cows going crazy. And you role play out like a 10-minute scene with them playing those NPCs that get attacked by the beholder or they get attacked by the giant and they're going to get slaughtered. But then you cut back over and your characters, you know, say uh, I need you to investigate the murder at this farmstead. It looks like some creature tore through there and then they basically go investigate the scene they just played out. So they know it was a beholder or a mind flayer or a drow or orc, but their characters learn the information that they already know. So again, you're introducing that element without have direct conflict, which I think is the most likely reason for it to break down.
1: That's a really good way to take it, too. Um, I think in the... the, Well, I know, in the 13th Age game that we're running now, uh, in my Pathfinder game that I'm running with my group here, we have started both games with that role-playing element. And I think that really sets the right tone for the game. I think it brings players in a little bit more... And even if it's uh, a situation that might not be immediately impactful, like, okay, we're farmers, and we got killed by giants. And then, okay, now the game really starts, and you're investigating this crime. You know, what you do as that farmer might not have any bearing on the rest of the game, but it's just a way to get the gears turning. It's a way to get invested in the scene in the little world you're creating. That's a really good way to start things off, um, you might even be able to work in something cool that uh, you know the the people come up with while they're role playing these throwaway farmers. Like maybe one guy says, "Okay, well I'm Bob the farmer, and I'm I'm running to save my kids, and I, I yelled at my wife to hide our treasure, you know." And then that person knows that he kind of made up in the moment that there was treasure. But then when his actual PC comes in, his PC doesn't know that there's treasure. So you could kind of make up a quick little skill challenge or a perception check to try to find this and, and see how that impacts the game. So there's lots of little ways you can actually work with that to keep it pretty interesting.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's, kinda, that's a good idea as well, is just trying to trying to find ways to connect them a little bit together. Um, I, also, I could just actually see that happening almost like at the start of every game you did that just to slowly show the encroaching nature of the impending doom. Um, Mm. Or even particularly, you know, like, you may have just said, okay, this is going to be an orc attack. You know, the campaign is going to revolve around an orc invasion. And maybe it was just supposed to be mindless orcs or numerous, you know, nobody orcs. But in that scene between the farmer, the farmer's wife, and the kids, maybe the, the players do a good job of starting to role play, and you sort of give personality to one of the orcs that maybe now becomes like the leader and he's you know viciously cruel or he talks better or something about him comes out in that improv role play session that really helps solidify that bad guy in your mind and your players. And now they really can latch on to a villain that they really want to get to who they've never seen. And it could be days, weeks, months, years, you know, levels down the road before there's actually a conflict between the PCs and that orc. But they hate that orc. And that battle will feel more important and more epic, even though they've never actually met. By doing this, if not every game, throughout the, the course of the campaign, you know, regularly you do another cutscene with that orc doing something. So again, we're kind of cross pollinating one of the other topics, which was cutscenes from the villains' point of view. I don't want to go too much into depth on that, but I think I do think that's something I want to start using in my games, is to give the players. Knowledge that their characters don't have, just like in a TV show, uh, you know. Again, Supernatural, we talk about where there's a, you know, there's an episode where the the characters are going to a place and they think they have the upper hand. You switch over and you see that the bad guys know they're coming and they're setting up an ambush. So then, when you switch back to Sam and Dean, you're like, oh crap, they're walking into an ambush. So you, as the audience, have this tension that the characters don't. And I just think that's a, there's so many different things you could do with that by giving a little taste, just a little little taste of what's going on on the other side.
1: That's definitely good to do. I, I think one of the big areas that I know I can personally improve in when I'm running a game is involving players in that tension and keeping them in the moment. And a lot of times just saying, okay, your character is doing this, your character is doing that, they can kind of get distracted a little bit more easily. But if you are suddenly, without telling them what's going on, you start describing this situation and telling them to role play out these other people, it brings them back into the reality of what's happening in the game. And to circle all the way back to something we touched on originally, we talked about how if you bring in the big bad guy or a very high-level powerful monster... You need to be ready to ready for what the players might do. They might die. How wh- how they're hurt. You need to also be prepared for them to win randomly, because specifically I can remember a game where I, w- I was playing in, and the guy running it threw like an elder green dragon at us, and he was supposed to be this recurring villain, and one of our guys cast a spell. That required a will save, and the green dragon critically failed. And we won because of that. So you have to be ready to handle that as well. And on one hand, you could just be totally stunned and say, wow, I did not expect that to happen. You guys killed the big boss. Congratulations. Or you take away that moment and say, well, the spell failed. But then you know in your back pocket that you're going to have all these awesome plans that's just going to make it better to have this dragon around for the long haul. But then you're taking away that cool moment of, oh, shit, I just rolled a one. The player loves that when he sees us running the games do that.
0: I, I, I... And I think that's why, as I said earlier, I think it's better to do that just narratively, and don't even really let them roll the dice because that's when you have that where he's like, I, I kill the dragon. They roll a, a D twenty. He gets a natural twenty. And he's excited, like I critted, it. And you're like, Well, no, no, we're not actually, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I just I feel like that's probably worse, uh, the worst way to do that. Uh, and actually, I had this, the same situation before we move on to the next topic. I had a situation early in one of my games a long time ago where they were fighting someone that they shouldn't have been fighting. But they had access to poison, and one of the guys is like, Well, I'll try to poison him. So he shoots a poison arrow and he hits. And I'm like, Well, the only way this guy can fail this save is if he rolls a one, and I throw the dice on the table, and goddamn if it, it didn't come up a one. And of I did course. it in front of everybody, being an arrogant jackass. Uh, I didn't even do it behind the screen where I could lie. I threw it out on the table like, You're an idiot, and it was a one. Um, so yeah, lesson learned there. Anyway. All right, so Jerry, thank you very much for the question. We we hope that you uh, found some value in this, and anyone else listening, maybe you did as well. I'm actually really kind of excited about that uh, cutscene technique. I think that's something I would really like to try to start doing. Uh, and if anyone is already doing it or thinks that they might want to start and they use it and it, it works or doesn't work, we'd love for you to email us in and let us know how it goes and maybe any uh, any thoughts on it. And so we're going to move into our second topic for the day, And this is from another uh, email that we got. This is from Danny. And uh, Danny's uh, been one of our more vocal and active Twitter followers lately. So thank you so much, Danny. Um, And I believe she's also pre-ordered one of our shirts. So thank you for that. Uh, But Danny had a a good question. And it's something that I think we've, we've touched on a long time ago, back Evan and I, one of our earliest episodes. But we didn't really go in depth. And Danny was asking about how we feel about a DM having a PC in the game. Now, this doesn't mean the DM, who runs all the NPCs, but basically the DM has a player character that they run as part of the adventuring group or party in a game. Um, You know, what do we think about it? Is it good? Is it bad? Can it be good? Can it be bad? And just sort of any any thoughts about it. Um, So, as usual, I'll let Caleb go first, and then I will agree with you.
1: (laughs) Man, we are really predictable on this show. (laughs) Hmm. All right, I've been thinking about this one for a while, and I'm really torn on how to answer it. I, I kind of feel we could give the cheap answer and just say it depends on the context. But I, I hate giving that such a half-assed answer. There's There's a couple different ways this could be facilitated. I think in the simplest way, which is probably the most acceptable, is the GM could operate an NPC that is necessary to the party. For example, let's say you're only playing with two or three people. And let's say that everyone who's playing uh, wanted to be uh, more um, combat-focused. So you've got a fighter, a rogue, and a wizard. Well, you know that they need a healer, and not none of them wanted to play a cleric you could roll up an NPC cleric and level him along with your players and in the story introduce this cleric uh, as being sent by the Duke to make sure everyone stays alive. He doesn't really have a voice in debates, he doesn't really attack uh, in combat but when someone's about to die he's gonna run in and cast a couple cures. I've done that in the past. I've been part of games where the people running it have done that for us. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But I don't think it's always the best thing to do, though. What do you think?
0: Surprisingly, I agree with you. Uh, Damn it! My my short answer back to Danny on Twitter was, a DM running a PC is kind of like pain pills. There's lots of legitimate reasons to use them, but they're very easily abused. And I think the the situation you're describing is the most common, and and I've done that myself, where there's just a missing element to the party. So I put in a PC that fits that, whether it's the cleric for the healer, the rogue to find traps, the fighter because everyone wanted to play a wizard and they were all going to die. Uh, and you do that, and you just try to you try not to make them a, a big part of the story. They're there, but they don't really have a lot of opinions. You know, again, they don't debate situations. They just basically say. Um, yeah, we'll go that way, or yes, I'll heal you, or okay, I'll kill that thing for you, and that's kind of the legitimate reason that you could do it. I think the abuse comes in is when you have a DM who just wants to play, and they don't maybe they don't get to play, so they, um, you know, they just kind of feel like this is their only way to play, and then their PC takes too much of the spotlight, and that's where it starts to get into abusive, and, and it stops being fun for other characters because there's going to be some favoritism you know the their pc is probably going to be the mary sue character who just happens to be good at everything that needs to be good at for this game or they're going to have knowledge that the other characters don't have and that's actually one way i think it works out too is if, if the type of campaign having a a player who's always in the party who knows the things that that a character in that world would know sometimes there's an easier way to give that information than to have people roll knowledge checks for things that their characters would know. You know, if, uh, if you weren't actually from this world and you showed up and you're like, um, do these people observe any sort of religious beliefs? And you're like, okay, roll D D20. Okay. Yeah. Approximately X percent are Christians. They believe this. They go to church on Sunday. X, per, you know, X people believe this rather than doing that. If you just had a character who said, maybe we just wait till Sunday when these people will be at church and then we can go to their house, you know, it's just a way to sort of more organically give information to the other players without having to roll mindless checks. But again, I just don't think that's how most people use it. I think filling a role in small party, it could be used as maybe you have a bunch of new players. You have three people who've never played before. You're an experienced DM trying to teach the game. So you're like... This is what a PC does. On my turn, I'm going to run over here and attack the orc. And you do that so that you're sort of in-game explaining, well, this is what your character should do. You're a wizard. You should do the wizardly equivalent of running over here and attacking the orc. Uh, This is how you roleplay. My character's interacting with a shopkeep. Hello, good sir. Can I have an ale? In that case, it makes a lot of sense. But if you're taking the spotlight away from any other character at any time, you have stepped over, and you're now on OxyCotton and you need to <laughs> detox because you're using so, the wrong way.
1: <laughs> uh, I'm going to r- roll up a character and call him OxyCotton now.
0: <laughs> call him Ox for short.
1: When my rogue in 13th age dies, my next character will be called Oxycotton. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> um, but uh, what you're saying is, If the the GM has an NPC that he's controlling, either that NPC needs to be in the background or needs to be a tutorial, essentially. Yes. Needs to be a guiding light to the game. Yeah, I I agree with both of those. I I think if you're putting a character into the game because you're bored and you really want to play or because you want to control the other players and take the story in a different direction, that's where you start running into trouble. You know, if you're playing a more open sandbox game and the players want to go off in one direction and you had the story element that's in the opposite direction, if you try to force them to go back that direction because your NPC wants to, you're not handling that the best way possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I think that would be a big no-no. Like, if you... You know, if you know that if they try to break into the the king's vault, that there's all these traps, and they probably will get caught and captured. So your players, your PC in the game says, "No, I refuse," because that's dumb. You're kind of taking away player agency, and you as the DM, if they want to break into the vault, either play it and let them get captured or killed the way it should have happened, or try to find a way in the game to make it make sense. But don't use your player in the game to dictate the actions of the other game again i've I've said that word agency it's my new favorite word instead of organic but i think whenever you're taking player agency away you're hurting the game and if that's what your dm pc is doing then you're doing it wrong
1: exactly and if you're in a situation where you are wanting to exercise both your gm muscles and your player muscles but you can't really do it properly in an RPG setting, maybe you need to try a different game. I mean, there's a lot of RPGs out there that are more cooperative and lets you play while you run. Let's just immediately throw Fate out there because we all know how much we both love Fate. Fate is so cooperative, You, as I think as a GM, you end up being much more involved in the game.
0: You could easily make that a, a group storytelling game, and and just say, okay, the opposition is you know a squad full of uh, mercenaries. On my turn, I'm going to shoot a guy. We, we already know how the the dice work; it's very transparent. You can say, okay, all these mercenaries are good level mercenaries, and yeah, you could do that very almost GM less. Have one person kind of start the scene, and then everyone play in it. So it's certainly possible in certain types of games, but in in the D and D setting, no, I don't I don't think so.
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely trickier in the actual D and D proper world. If you're in another game rule setting, even if you're playing a fantasy world, the rule come, the rule setting is a little more important at that point. But actual D and D rules, whether it's 5th edition, 4th edition, 3rd, whatever. You need to have that separation between player and GM. That GM screen needs to be there.
0: See, I think this is where we would harken back to a friend of the show, the Angry DM. And I'm going to channel Angry for a minute. And I apologize, Angry, I will not do you justice. But I would argue as Angry that as the DM, you get to play a lot of PCs. Those are just the ones that are trying to kill the party. So play them. Trying to kill the party.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you can really role play the
0: bad guys. Yes, make and, make the bad guys your PC and try your damnedest to kill the party, and that's yeah. where you get to role play. Yeah,
1: I think I know I know that I uh, am guilty of this, but when I throw a bunch of goblins at my players, they're just things for the players to kill. You know, I'm not in the mindset of we're the goblins, and we want to do this, and we got to stop these humans from attacking. You know, you got to... If you really want to get into the game, and that's what you're itching to do, instead of throwing an NPC in there that you control, you know, really dive into the bad guys. If, if you have a recurring villain, I mean, build the hell out of that recurring villain and play that recurring villain. You know, have fun with his minions and henchmen and, and the Grand Vizier that's you know this polymorph dragon i mean enjoy the hell out of that and and have your fun that
0: way and you could even use the cutscenes from our earlier topic to actually do i mean i wouldn't do too much of it because the players will get bored but if you actually want to roll a couple dice as your player say you know my guy is he's going to beat up the captain of the guard do a quick couple rolls and do something cool and you know get your rocks off for lack of a better term um, you know, in that way, and kind of jumping back, one of the things that I have seen disco poorly is where the, uh, the DM's PC does things that they can't really do, kind of cheat a little bit to make their character cooler. Uh, so again, look, you know, your character, Caleb, you're about to get killed by the creature. Well, my guy pulls off the miraculous shot that saves you, but it, I kind of fudged the dice a little bit. So my character now becomes the hero that saved you, even though I did something that probably couldn't have actually done. So again, I'm taking away your enjoyment. I'm also rescuing you, which I don't really like to do either. And I'm right. making my character become the coolest character in the group all at the same time. Yeah. So. Yeah.
1: As as the, as the GM, even though we are cooperatively enjoying the game, our fun needs to be drawn from the entirety of the game, not that one cool moment. You know, we have to give our players those cool moments. Our cool moments are kind of reacting to their cool moments. But I will say this, I think in the right story context, having an NPC that does something really unexpected and fantastic can be appreciated. So think. Let, let's think more Let's think more novel setting for a moment. If we're in a fantasy novel and the heroes are escorting or or protecting a small village in the mountains and one beggar child suddenly kills an orc with a fireball and doesn't know why and then through the course of the story we, we learn that this one beggar child is the reincarnated spirit of this ancient wizard, and this becomes the whole focus of the story. In that type of story context, having that NPC do something unexpected or that's a big moment is a little bit more acceptable. Again, you have to do it properly, and you have to have players that are ready to kind of roll with that hands-off narrative for a moment. But if your story is framed properly to handle that, you could get away with something like that, I think.
0: But it always comes down to execution. Uh, I actually had a a similar game that I ran uh, back in my group in Cleveland where I had a a DMed PC. And um, similar to that, he was actually a magical prodigy. And he had this really terrible background. His name was Trey. But it wasn't because he was the third. It's because he actually had to hold things. Like, that was his job. He was uh, a poor little slave boy. He was a And um, he was a magical prodigy. And, and he, he was be able to cast spells higher, much higher than his level would, would allow because I wanted them to know that he was this sort of, again, prodigy, magical sort of type thing. And the long-term goal I had thought out well in advance, I was going to create a situation where the, the players were trapped, and they were in like cells of some sort and they couldn't get out and I was going to have Trey allow one of the other characters to kill him by you know, impaling him on his blade and then basically I was going to create an artifact. It was going to be an intelligent weapon where Trey's magical abilities and mind would get transferred into this weapon and then one of the characters would have this really cool sword. It's a cool idea. Still think it would make a great story. It was a terrible game. Everyone hated that little fucker, and they were so glad when he was dead, and they didn't want the magical weapon. It was awful. So my execution was not very good in that game.
1: Well, I, I kind of expect that to happen now. I want I want to play that story. <laughs> well, if the you next haven't...
0: time
1: in, 13, in 13th Age, if anyone ever asks my rogue to kill him, he's going to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah. The only thing we what can do is, just, is stab me in the heart with i didn't finish my story i, I don't care where's my, <laughs> where's my magic sword the hell nice yes so it's just like if anyone asks if you're a god you say yes if a magical prodigy asks you to stab them in the heart you do it you do it that's, that's, yeah. those are just the rules we live by. good rules i like those rules <laughs> okay well uh danny same to you we, we really hope that um we answered your question we gave you some things to think about i'm hoping that this was all a theoretical exercise for you and you've never had a situation where a DM stole your agency in a game. Uh, but if they did, then maybe you could just sort of suggest that they listen to this episode and that there's another person named Danny who follows us on Twitter and it's not you in no way related to us and, uh, and they happen to be running a bad game. So uh, that pretty much wraps up the table topics portion for this episode. We, we do have quite a few things that we are trying to plan out. As I mentioned before, we have been getting a lot of questions through the website, probably the most in in the short span of time since we started, so I cannot thank you guys enough, Jerry and Danny specifically, and we have several other questions that we're going to get to on future episodes, so please keep them coming. It makes this so much easier for us to uh, be engaged and help you guys out and hopefully get a little bit of entertainment at the same time, so the more questions you send in, the better off we'll be. You can give us feedback and comments on our website, therpgacademy.com. You can listen to previous podcasts on our website and subscribe to new ones on iTunes. If you have a suggestion for a table topic, we'd love to hear it. Email us at podcast at therpgacademy.com or connect with us. We're on Twitter at therpgacademy. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash therpgacademy. We also have a Google Plus page, therpgacademy. As always, thanks for listening, and remember, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.